welcome back to License to Spiel. I'm Carl Wonders. And I'm Thad Haight. And tonight we're going to be talking about the second and sadly final Timothy Dalton entry into the Braun franchise, License to Kill. Yes, which is a little more badass than a License to Spiel. A little bit. <laughs> Although originally it was, I believe it was supposed to be called License Revoked. Yes. And they decided to change the title for various reasons. One being there was a License Renewed book that came out. Uh, one of those unofficial James Bond books came out, and I think they were afraid it was going to be confusing to people. They also thought Americans wouldn't understand it. Oh, what revoked means? No, they thought like Americans would think it was like a driver's license, is apparently, according to the James Bond wiki. <laughs> <laughs> Americans are dumb. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I mean, when Downton Abbey premiered, they cut a bunch of the stuff about the uh, uh a bunch of the stuff about the le- legalities of inheritance and and had a long intro explaining it so that americans wouldn't be lost oh well that's nice <laughs> i guess <laughs> they do use the british spelling of license which my computer whines about every time i type it yes same but, uh... <laughs> fun fact they use the British spelling of license, but um, when it aired, when not aired, um, when it was released theatrically in the U.S., they used the American spelling. Oh, in the credits and stuff. Yeah. Ah, okay. Again, Americans are not always bright, I guess. Right. <laughs> so yeah, this uh, yeah, License to Kill was released in 1989, uh, and it's it's the last, it's it's really the last film of an era, I would say, because you not only have Timothy Dalton bowing out after this film. Uh, Carolyn Bliss, who is Money Penny, she only stuck around for the two movies. This is also Robert Brown's last film, actually, as an actor. He didn't act again uh, mm. after this movie, although he did live until, I think, 2001, 2002, something like that. Uh, we also say goodbye to John Glenn, who's been directing these movies ever since For Your Eyes Only. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Maybaum, the screenwriter, who's almost always shows up, it seems like, on these credits. This is his last entry. And Morris Binder, the guy who does the naked, silhouetted naked women credits, uh, you know, he this is his final film in the franchise as well. So we really kind of turn a new page when we finally get around to the Brosnan era, probably because of how long it took to make yeah. that movie. Well, Richard Maybaum, I don't know about the others, but I know Richard Maybaum died in between this and Goldeneye. Yes, I think Morris Binder might have as well. This is also a, a movie, John Barry bowed out of, or John Barry's last film in the franchise, his composer, was the last week's, um, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Living Daylights. Uh, there's there's mixed stories about whether he was originally going to do this movie or not. He actually had a really bad case of throat cancer, and he had was undergoing surgery and whatnot, and obviously was not healthy enough to do this movie at the end of the day but people are kind of debating they don't really know whether he was going to start working on this movie and then couldn't or he was never you know even contracted to do the movie um well i have some things to say music wise in a little bit uh, in general but which we'll get to in a, in a little while um but uh so this movie to me first of all i, I have to just point out that this may it, it, in in moments might turn into the Chris Farley show a little bit where I, I think this is a great film in the franchise. It's one of my, I would put it in the top five personally. Uh, usually if I'm asked to put them in order, I usually have it around three or four. Um, it, it feels to me very much a reaction to things like Die Hard and that type of action film, uh, you know, sort of grounded in reality. There's not a big 
super villain going to blow up the world or anything like that in this movie. Um, and it's a much harder edge, I think, than we're certainly used to in Bond, but it seemed to be kind of the, the trend of action movies around this time. Yes, very much so. Um, interestingly, I also think it's a very good movie. Um, but uh, if you adjust for inflation, this actually performed the poorest of the box office of any Bond film. And I think there's people argue about whether this is why they stopped making them for a while. I think why they stopped making them for a while was because MGM went bankrupt. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it had anything to do with the returns on this movie. I think it was reasonably successful. Um, they actually cut the budget somewhat between the last film and this one. I think you can tell in some spots, frankly, that it's working with a much smaller budget. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it, I mean, it's obviously a successful film. I mean, yeah, least profitable Bond film is you know, sort of like, I, and I know I've used this before, praising with faint damn. Um, it's, <laughs> its budget was $32 million and it made $156 million. I have seen successful right. movies that have had a much smaller margin. Absolutely, yeah. I think part of the why it probably didn't do so well at the box office was 1989 was a hell of a year for films, especially yes. in the summer. I mean, we had, you know, Batman came out... Uh, well, Star Trek V came out. I don't know how much that had any impact. <laughs> um, I believe... Uh, Star Trek V didn't I believe, come out in the uh, summer, did it? Mm, I don't remember. It certainly came out the same year. Um, I believe Last Crusade came out this year as well. Yes. Um, so, so, competing... In there are others as well. Die Hard is another one. Direct competition in the theaters at the same time were Batman, Last Crusade, Lethal Weapon 2, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and Ghostbusters 2. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, that no, actually... I, I think this movie's better than Ghostbusters 2, but... <laughs> I mean, I like Ghostbusters Which I like. Too. I like Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> I've never seen any of the Lethal Weapon movies, so I couldn't comment on that. Uh, but... Okay. I mean, obviously, Last Crusade, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and Batman are all classics. Uh, yep. And interestingly, as a direct result of that, this was the last Bond film to date to open in the summer. Aha. So should we just uh, should we dive into the film here and yes, let's and, uh, see where we go. Um, I'm always struck right off the bat by the gun barrel this time out. Just it's just so different than what we ever get. Um, and it, it, I don't dislike it. I think people, some people complain about it. I mean, I'm not a, one of those people that has like favorite gun barrel openings and whatnot, but, uh, it's just, it I'm definitely gets your attention as gonna need different. an explanation of how it's different actually. Oh, the, the music, like you don't get the James Bond. Oh, music quite okay. The same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'm like scrubbing through the you video. Know. I'm like, this looks like the normal. Oh, no, no, <laughs> no. Without the sound. No, no, no. It's the, it's the same. It's the same footage as as last movie okay but okay just... <laughs> right right, right. Okay. yeah yeah the music we open up with this dea plane that's tracking sanchez fun fact michael g wilson the producer and writer of a lot of these movies uh still to this day he he's been doing a lot of cameos especially later on starting around this era and moving he's he shows up in all the movies and he's he's the guy who's you know, if we if they hurry, they might just grab the bastard. That's his voice. So that's his little cameo in this movie. Um, but anyway, hmm. uh, I don't know why he started doing it, but he has. And we find as the 
the cue on the album actually says this is James and Felix on their way to church. Yes. We have the return of David Hedison in the role of Felix Leiter. He played Felix in Live and Let Die, which I I did the math right, is 28 years earlier. So he's he's looking pretty good. He I does, think, for, yeah. I think he was 61, 62 in this movie. Yeah, like I, I wrote down while watching this that Felix Leiter has recovered from his acute case of being John Terry. <laughs> Thank goodness, too. Indeed. <laughs> John Terry was, yeah, anyway, we talked about John Terry last time. Yes. Um, David Hedison, on, on the other side, I think is one of my favorite Felix Leiters that we get. Uh, he's, I put him up with the Jack Lord tier. Um, yeah, no, he's, maybe not he's quite, quite good. Yeah, this other fellow Sharky that they leave behind to go and stall the yeah, wedding. Yeah, I forget this actor's to. name, but he's been in so many things. Yeah, he has. And then we cut to an introduction to the main villain of the piece sanchez who is played by robert davi yes he's he's remark he's really effective in this movie mm -hmm. right off the bat so i'm gonna go go to a different sci-fi franchise uh robert davi has not been in star trek but he did have a recurring role as a villain on stargate atlantis oh did he yeah okay he was very good in that too i found it funny that he he played one of the special agents johnson in Die Hard. Yes, he did. Um, and and his partner, the other Special Agent Johnson, no relation, is the DEA guy that meets with Bond in the hospital later. So both of them are in this movie. I was in junior high, asshole. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yet, so... Sorry, that's the first thing I thought of when no. you mentioned those, the DEA agents. Yeah, I... just just like Saigon, <laughs> junior high. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. for not having much screen time, those two are fairly memorable. I think. Yeah. <laughs> plus, uh, plus, that's an eighties I mean, movie I have seen. Excellent. <laughs> I had a feeling you would have seen that one. Uh, like. <laughs> 10 or 20 times probably yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no it's a classic but yeah so we we meet this guy we haven't seen him before we have no idea even who he is really and you know the dea's after him so we kind of have a little bit of a hint here and his first scene he gets a guy's heart cut out which we don't see it's just happened you hear him screaming off camera while he's beating his girlfriend for sleeping with the guy i mean he's not a nice man yeah it's weird that like so, yes, he's not a nice person, obviously, but it's also weird that, like, he's more or less okay with the fact that his girlfriend ran off with another guy. I mean, yeah, he's beating mm -hmm. her, but, like, he's clearly taking her back and everything, and it's like, that's kind of odd. Yeah, I mean, he's like, he says something like, your your antics have gotten more creative, or so something like that, and, you know, clearly this is not the first time this has happened. But, I mean, he's a guy who, like, who... And especially because he's a guy who values loyalty. Yeah, I was gonna say that. that. Yeah. Pretty early on. So, yeah. It's just um, strange. maybe a little inconsistent. I don't know. Yeah, you'd think he would just murder them both. Yeah. But that would have made the movie harder for Bond, so... That, the, yeah, the, the movie wouldn't have progressed quite the same way if he had. <laughs> we, we see Sharky trying to stall the wedding here, and... Della's, Della's father is, like, the quintessential father-in-law in the scene where he's like, I told you this was a mistake. You shouldn't marry this guy. Um, which makes me laugh. And then we get a, another, I think, pretty good opening scene here, sequence, with, you know, them trying to catch 
Sanchez on this island and, and all this stuff. I, I enjoy this a lot, actually. Yeah. I'm not sure if Sanchez is flying to the Bahamas from Cuba, and he clearly isn't there long. I'm, I'm really wondering if the uh, DEA helicopter from Key West could have made it in time. I suppose it depends which island of the Bahamas they were on. I keep thinking they say Crab Key, but that's Dr. No. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm i not sure exactly. I mean, there's the whole... They, they, they play fast and loose with the geography because after they catch him... You know, spoiler alert, they capture Sanchez. Uh, they're actually, like, flying right over the church so they can parachute down to the church. So I don't think geography is that big a deal here. I mean, the, the church could be there, right? I mean, they're in the Keys somewhere, but yeah, I don't... Yeah, but no, I like I like this. The sequence is good. Um, I'm not sure that Bond could have made that... I don't think Bond... The, the part where Bond shoots the Jeep with one bullet and makes it crash, I'm not sure about that. Yep. <laughs> but, yeah. but I like it, and I like, and I like how uh, Felix is like, "Hey, observer, you trying to get yourself killed?" That was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, "If I don't get back to the church, I'm a dead man for sure." And he's like, "Ah, whatever." And they keep running. I like how he tries to rescue Lupe, and she wants nothing to do with it mm-hmm. at this point, where she's just like, "Leave me alone, go away." And Bond does. So something, and then something I noticed. I noticed when watching it the first time, I didn't take too much attention, but then I noticed later when Sanchez is taking off, the tip of the plane wing touches the ground for a second. Yeah, I've noticed that too. And then too. later in the, towards the end of the movie, when he's escaping from the temple, the bottom of his car scrapes the ground when he takes a turn. Huh. Like, I'm sure these are both coincidences, but it's weird. No, I've no, I haven't noticed the car. I definitely noticed the plane because they even, you can hear it. Yeah. Um, what I always found confusing was they, they, he turns and scrapes the wing and then they cut to Robert Davi, like looking out the window, but he's just looking back at, at them chasing him. But yeah, you almost think like he's looking, checking the wing of the plane or something. I don't know. And then they take off after the plane in a helicopter. Bond famously says, let's go fishing. I'm not sure how the helicopter catches the plane. Um, like, I, I mean the speed. Yeah. It's not a very powerful plane. Also, there is a very obvious Timothy Dalton stand-in in a bad wig jumping out of the helicopter. When he jumps onto the ground or when he gets lowered out of the plane? When he, The scene when he's getting lowered onto the plane. Like, his face uh, is in yeah, full yeah, yeah. view and the hair doesn't look anything <laughs> like his hair. So maybe it's not Roger Moore that does the stunt? <laughs> like, normally when you're... You're replacing when you're replacing with a stuntman. You don't go with a face shot <laughs> where you can see. Yeah. <laughs> Timothy Dalton has interesting hair in this movie in general, but yeah, the guy that yeah, <laughs> I, I see what you're saying now. He's got like <laughs> Patrick Trofton hair. Yeah, it's like a bowl cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the face isn't quite no, right but, either. Yeah, but no, they, Patrick they, Trofton is that's a very good comparison. If they had gotten the hair right. I probably wouldn't have noticed that the face wasn't quite right. Uh, I mean, the face... The, 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 the face, face is close. sort of looks like him. But the hair yeah. is just not even close. <laughs> no. <laughs> I will say, Timothy Dalton looks a little older in this movie than he did in the last one. Well, he's two years older. Well, yeah. But, I mean, some of us don't always look <laughs> older two years later. I'm, I'm not a fan of his slicked back hair in this movie. It, it does like that he has. It does legitimately make him look older because you can see the widow's peak and yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Like we said that you know they 
they wrap the cable around the tail of the plane and fly. I don't know how you land like that. That's an excellent question. How do they land? (laughs) (laughs) And then they parachute down to the the church and everything and they, you know, play the music and they go in, which I I like. I like the button on this scene, too. Yeah, it's a nice little fully enclosed bit of storytelling here. And Mm -hmm. I like the touch of as they go into the credits, like some of the uh, the kids and stuff pick up their parachutes like they're the veil of the wedding dress and carry them inside the church, which I think is a cute little touch. I like how they both put on their hats, but then keep walking with their parachutes on. Like that makes no sense. (laughs) 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 But yeah, no, I, I, I enjoy this whole thing, how the, yeah, they managed mm-hmm. to go right right to the wedding. It works. Yeah. Uh, we get, again, the last Morris Binder credit sequence brought to you by Olympus Cameras and this funny old thing called film. <laughs> um, I don't quite get <laughs> what he's going for with these. What's film? Yeah, exactly. They made it around the same time they made those whistling keychain things. Oh, okay. <laughs> I am not so young <laughs> that I do not remember film cameras, just so we're clear. No, I know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Talk a little bit about the song here. It's fine. That's sung by Gladys Knight. It's fine. they they had to go in and revise the credits for who wrote the song because they're clearly borrowing from the opening brass line of Goldfinger and they had to credit the original Goldfinger composers to avoid getting sued for that. And I just wanted to talk a little bit more about it simply because the late 80s was a period of time when film soundtracks became a very commercial thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of films from the 80s have, they even, it was confusing, like they would have the score CD or tape, and then they would have the soundtrack, which was songs. Right. And sometimes the songs weren't even in the movie, which is weird, but <laughs> yeah. a lot of times, a lot of times they would write songs. I mean, I think Ghostbusters is a great example where they would write a whole bunch of songs and stick them in the movie. Um, so around the late 80s was a time when the the studios took notice of this and were trying to make things as commercial as possible. So this is really the first movie where MGM United Artists or whoever 
stepped in and had a more of a heavy hand in terms of things like the the music or not not so much the music of the film but the songs mm-hmm. so what this is this starts a phenomenon in bond that's a rather unfortunate one where a lot of the title songs have nothing to do with the movie and don't appear in the movie in any way this is the first time when you don't like the melody you're hearing and all the stuff that's going on in the credits you, n- you never hear it again and it was because the studio said we want to write a song and we want to have the song that's a big hit and we want to make money off of it and the same thing with the with the end song the patty labelle if you ask me to song was also written specifically for that i don't think it's a great trend honestly uh Nah. I miss a lot of the songs in, in, in the Brazen era, you have a mix where you have some of the songs were written by, usually it's David Arnold who wrote most of the music for that the, that era of Bond, uh-huh. but uh, you know he would write songs and then they would be in the credits, but things like the song written by Bono and the Edge for Goldeneye, that never shows up, which, although I think it's a good song. It is a good song. Yeah, and we'll, I mean, we'll get to that when we get to it, but it's just worth noting that this is this is the first time that the studio was specifically making decisions that were outside of the filmmakers themselves making these these choices as to you know who sings and what the song is because i think michael Kamen, the guy that writes the music for the film tried to write a song or did write a song and the studio just said no we're not doing that we're doing something else so you know it is what it is and that's the end of my little spiel within a spiel let's no say. i was actually thinking about that this movie because specifically last movie and in a lot of the <laughs> movies before this one you hear the musical notes of the theme song throughout the movie. And in this one, you obviously don't. Yeah, like you don't... Like Michael Kamen, who composed the music, had nothing to do with the writing of the song. Right. And, and you know, John Barry wrote all the songs, essentially, that in his films. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Conti wrote For Your Eyes Only, and, and Marvin Hamlish wrote Nobody Does It Better. So, the, you know, this is the first time they said, we're going to bring in a whole outside group of people to do something creative for this movie that has nothing to do with the movie itself it's more a means to make money for this for the studio mm-hmm. uh i mean the song's the song's fine yeah there's nothing wrong with it yeah if, if if you listen to the the album version there's like backup singers in the background that you don't that they dialed out in the film version specifically when gladys knight says i've got a license to kill they then say to kill again kind of as a repeat but the way it's overlapped it sounds like lattice knight is saying license to kilt If you ever listen, just go listen to the, the 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 single version of it. It's I swear it sounds like she says "License to Kilt," which is a whole other kind of movie. That uh, is a different movie. That would that would be a Sean Connery movie. Frankly. Or that's the documentary about when we went to the Maryland Renaissance Festival last year. <laughs> well, there are nipples in the uh, credits as well. So yeah, actually, fits. now that I think about it, the documentary um, about that would have to have involved nipples in the title. <laughs> And I'm not going to explain that more. Our listeners can be confused. Yes. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, okay. So we're out of the credits. Mm-hmm. Um, we're interrogating Sanchez. There's Special Agent Johnson. And 
some guy named Killifer, who I would never have suspected would be a bad guy in this movie. No, not at all. I mean, that said, the when Sanchez raises it to two million, they cut close on mm-hmm. the other guy, and you kind of wonder if that's the guy that's gonna. I don't know. Yeah, like I feel like they do they do a little bit of a fake out on you there. A little bit. You can also tell it's the '80s because both Killifer and then Truman Lodge later have the square tie, the 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 knit square tie thing going on. Yes. Also, I you can tell it's the '80s because two million dollars is enough for someone to be like, okay, I'm gonna have to abandon my entire life. Yes. And admittedly, I have never had two million dollars, nor will I ever have two million dollars, most likely. But. Two million dollars is something that I could be comfortable in my existing life, but I had to. If I had to abandon mm-hmm. my entire life and set myself up somewhere else, it better be for more. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Two million dollars. Yeah, that's like something you can live comfortably on and never have to worry about money again. But you kind of you would still need probably some sort of income to supplement that of after a while, especially you know if you're in your thirties or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Killifer can't be any so. older than his forties. No, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. I, I Admittedly, $2 million yeah. went a little farther in the 80s than it does now, but not like... It did. Yeah. yeah anyway. Especially considering how we've later find out how much money Sanchez has, $2 million feels like chump change. Well, that's why he does it to anybody who gets him out. He's yeah. Like, yeah. $2 million to anybody who helps me get out. I can afford it. I, I definitely have a note about money later, too. We go back to the wedding. Della's very familiar with James Bond in this scene. <laughs> like... Yeah... The kiss, that kiss is weird. Yeah. The, especially the second one, to me, is yeah. weird, too. Like, the first one, I thought, I always think she's drunk. But then when first, he goes in for the other but, kiss, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. I, I'm not gonna lie, I would feel kinda creeped out if my best man did that to my wife at my wedding. Yeah, exactly. Or at any time, really. <laughs> yeah, well, I was gonna say, you mean, like, after the wedding, it would be fine? I mean... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At least let me have the honeymoon. Then you can kiss my wife. No, 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 that's not cool. No. Hey, some people were into that, but anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, so she sends Bond to get Felix because he's doing work. Right. And Bond walks in and Felix's secretary is there. And Bond's like, sorry. Almost like he walked in on something completely different. Well, and then Felix is like, strictly business. It's like... You were handing what? her papers. In what way did it look like anything other than <laughs> yeah, I business? Know. I know, right? <laughs> or is that, that, just... that is Pam, by the way, but who we meet later. Oh, right. Of course it is. Yeah. I was thrown off by the wig. Oh, right. But yeah, that's not a great wig, but thankfully she loses it most pretty quickly. No, that makes so uh, much sense. I did not put two and two together, but like he totally acts like he knows her already when he sits down. So now, duh, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> How did I not notice that? Especially because I watched this twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Example number 27 of how this is the 80s is that giant CD tray <laughs> yes. that comes out of Felix's computer. <laughs> I'm surprised he has a CD drive Did they all. ever have those for real? Oh, yeah. No, that was real. No, that was a new thing for sure. Although I'm confused because he's like, I just want to save this. I'm like, how did you save to a CD and... 1989 but that is an excellent no there's no no he could not have saved to a cd in 1989 they had cd drives and i'm sure the early and the early ones were bigger 
Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, you could. There was no way to save to a CD on a on a just a regular. You needed like an actual the, the CDR for, format wouldn't come around for another ten years. You would actually need like a the only way you could make a CD was in like a processing plant. Right. You had to burn it, it like literally burn it in. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, yeah. that's an excellent point. I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> but also, like one. Well, and you're the one always talking about like old timey formats. Yeah, you're right. Stuff. You're right. I didn't even. How is he? How is this document have so much data that it would even need a CD? It's all text. It it yeah it doesn't. <laughs> there I think they were just showing off like modern computer. It is the most modern computer we have seen so far. Yeah. Despite the green and black screen, but that's they still had those in the eighties. Yeah, they did. Oh, and I'm noticing now that they're showing the wide shot of them driving the paddy wagon and stuff away, and you can see the planes like up on an angle, propped up against a building. So I guess they figured out how to land it. Oh yeah, there it is. Yeah, that's a nice little bit of continuity that I did not notice before. Yeah, I had never noticed it before either. Honest, if I'm being honest, I guess they like got real low and then just let go of the cable. They must have, and he was surrounded by who knows what by that point. So right. So is this a thing at parties where people? in their regular clothes just hang out in the pool maybe in florida because there's a guy in the pool in a suit yeah in his very 80s suit in the pool (laughs) having a great time i mean he's just it's like he's dancing but he's in the pool yeah i mean i'm sure he's i'm sure the implication is that he's drunk oh i'm sure yeah yeah i also like the old guy behind him that's like really rocking out yes (laughs) that guy that guy belongs at the uh at Pussfeller's Club. <laughs> no. Yes. Uh, here's where we we get Chekhov's lighter. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a really nice setup. It um, is. I still... I don't understand why it shoots flames the way it does. I mean, I, I know why it shoots flames because of the ending, but... Oh, yeah. No, it sh- nothing should shoot flames that far. <laughs> even if you have it... Even if you have it turned the whole way up, it shouldn't go out that far. <laughs> no. If it does, you're you're using up all of the fuel in like thirty seconds. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't I don't mind it too much because it's a good setup for sure. And and it it's it's probably one of the better payoff setups that, that you get in this just because of the you know the personal connection of the whole thing. It's also um, kind of weird. He gives it to to him. It's been freshly engraved, but it's also covered in scratches. Yeah. So it's like they got a third-hand lighter and engraved it for him or something. <laughs> so you're saying it's not a genuine Felix lighter? <laughs> I had that exact thought when he handed it to him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, genuine Felix lighter? <laughs> yeah. but Because you get that close-up of it and you see the engraving, but you also see it's yeah. covered in scratches. It is, yeah. It's scratched up and yeah. So it's weird, especially because Felix clearly has lots of money, considering this house. Mm-hmm. It's weird that he didn't get a new lighter to give to James. It is. Maybe that's a... Well, no, because it was on film, so it's not like you can blame it on HD either. Nah. But meanwhile, we see Sanchez is, is being broken out here by Killifer driving the truck off the one of the bridges in the Keys. So I want to talk for a second about Killifer uh, incapacitating the guard with the butt of his rifle 
and that like that that has like red paint on it. Yeah, like the instant the rifle <laughs> hits the guy's face, he gets a huge red blood stain on his face. It's like where did that blood come from? <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's better than than the blood that Bert Saxby got shot with in Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> yeah. This is around the time when they finally figured out how to do movie blood in a convincing way, though. I think like the late eighties. Yeah. It looks better. It's still a little too bright, but it yeah. looks better. Yeah. Like, would the van have really sunk that quickly? I don't know. Isn't actually, it? It depends. Full I guess of air. Like, it should be. But it's a cool scene. Yeah, I don't know what. I mean, I'm sh- I'm sure that the mesh in the back is there's windows there. It's not. Uh, yeah, that's a good. You point. know, it's not like. All right. Fine. I guess it's okay. I mean, there's a lot of air coming out of that van as it sinks when you get that sure. shot. And, like, the the back area is almost completely full of water even before they open the doors, so okay. I mean, here you definitely see a difference between Sanchez and the villains we were used to seeing, where they actually do rescue Killifer and they don't kill him. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he continues to show his loyalty throughout the movie, so it almost feels like, like you almost kind of root for Sanchez a little bit. Like, he's still a terrible human being, but... Right, I mean, I think it's it's why it's good that his first scene is as brutal as it is, because mm-hmm. then you're not inclined to root for him. Right. He's certainly one of the more complex villains, I would say, in terms of his... He's one of those people who, like, he treats his people well, mm-hmm. it seems like. I don't see... He doesn't abuse any of his underlings or anything like that. He treats them well, he pays them well, clearly. Just, just don't cross him. Yeah. Which we find out what happens if you do. Oh, yeah. I think this is a nice little bit of continuity here at the very end of the wedding with the, the garter and they bring up Tracy again a little bit. Yes, I like that. Um, um, yeah. And then Felix is taking Della into the bedroom and there are goons. And they're led by Benicio Del Toro. Indeed. It's his first movie. Is it his very first movie? I believe it is. I think he was like 21. He looks really young, yeah. So, if Sanchez had not tried to get revenge on Felix, he would have gotten away with it. Yep. Because, yes, Bond would have gone back to Felix when he heard about heard that Sanchez got es- escaped, but he wouldn't have... But then, when he found was sure that Felix was okay, he still would have gone, gone to Istanbul like he was supposed to. Mm-hmm. And it almost feels like... Sanchez going after Felix is, like, against him being, you know, honorable or whatever. Because, like, Felix is just doing what he was supposed to do. But, anyway. Uh, uh, the entire movie falls apart if it doesn't happen, so I suppose it has to happen. <laughs> yeah, if he, do, if he doesn't do anything to Felix, there's no movie. Right. right. And, I mean, I, and I do appreciate Sanchez saying, you know, later on when he says this is nothing personal, it's just business. Mm-hmm. You know, Anthony Zerby wants nothing to do with this. We, we no. meet him in the scene here with... Anthony Zerby is playing Anthony Zerby, as he always does. Uh, I think he he plays the same guy every time he's in in something. Mm -hmm. We're paying off killer for here, where this is when they, you know, bring in Felix. So, so when they bring in Felix and they take off his blindfold, he asks where his wife is, and Benicio Del Toro goes, Don't worry. We gave her a nice honeymoon. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Now... I, I probably would have thought that more in 1989 than I do in 2020, having seen so many Benicio yeah, Del Toro movies yeah, I know, where he right? says things in a weird way for no reason. <laughs> so <Yeah>, fair. 
he started it young. He very much did. This scene is really well done and very brutal. <laughs> yeah, this Just movie saying. earns its PG-13 rating. It does. It's the yeah the first one to be PG-13, and I think it certainly deserves it. Well, PG-13 didn't exist until, like, 84, so... Right. I mean, it, you know, seeing it now, like, yeah, compared to the other movies, it's pretty brutal, but compared to some of the stuff we see in movies now, it's... Oh, yeah. There's not... You don't see that much. No. Even modern Bond movies, there's... True, yeah. yeah. So... I don't think you need to see it. We don't. Either. Like, I think this is very effective. Yeah, it works. It's a very it's a very good scene, uh, and we actually, I think we as an audience are meant to believe that, for a little bit at least, that Felix is dead. Yes, definitely. So, Bond drives to the airport, parks his car, gets his luggage out of the car, and then just walks into the airport? Yep. He just parks the car it's in front of the too, terminal? It's a good thing, too, because he needs the car again. Sure. It, he needs it. Okay, sure. It works for that scene, but <laughs> if he had been about to get on a plane... What was going to happen to that car? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and besides, the white zone is for loading and unloading. <laughs> <laughs> there is no stopping in the red zone. Oh, it's red zone, you're right. <laughs> no, 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 but the white yeah. white zone is loading and unloading. No, that. Yeah. The red zone is for loading and unloading. There's no stopping in a white zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love the I love the nonchalance of the ticket agent when she's like Some big drug dealer just escaped. Now would that be smoking or non-smoking, Mr. You take it! Well, yeah, no big deal. Happens every day here. Interestingly, uh, this is the last time that we will see Pan Am in a James Bond film because they will not exist when the next James Bond film comes out. Right. But James rushes back to find Felix because Sanchez has escaped. Sure. And he finds Della's uh, dead. Yes. And then he gets to Felix's office and finds Felix not quite dead. But we do get the he disagreed with somebody he, some something that ate him sign, which is good. Yes, which is good. A nice uh, thing that they had in the Live and Let Die book that they brought into this movie. Yes. Works very well. Yeah, well, uh, License to Kill was not a novel, was it? No. I didn't no, think it so. Wasn't. Yeah, so they... I think they wrote a novel version of the movie, but I don't think... Right. But it was never a Fleming title. Right. Uh, this, they take a, a couple things from Live and Let Die in this movie. Because mm -hmm. the, the, the drug smuggling, the smuggling with the sub and stuff. Yeah. And I should, I have to correct because multiple times now I have said that the only remaining Fleming title is 007 in New York. Uh, again, which makes a terrible title for a movie. But I forgot there's a story called the Hildebrand Rarity, which is another Bond story. Um, which I'm only bringing up because that's where the character Milton Crest comes from. Ah! That's um, also a terrible name for a movie, though. It is, and it's also weird because the Hildebrand rarity is a fish. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. But there's also still Property of a Lady. Yes, that's true. And I've read somewhere that that might have been the title of the third Dalton film if they had made one. That was the working title for the third Dalton film before it didn't happen. Yeah, although they did use that phrase in Octopussy, so... I want to know who, who this guy is that is doing the scene investigation... He, yeah, I, I think I chalk it up to the acting on this guy, but just not great. You can bet it was a chainsaw. Colombians love to use them on informers. Hell, they sell more here than in the state of Oregon. And I like next scene where Sharky's like, Chainsaw my ass. I know a shark bite when I see one. <laughs> Agent Johnson comes back. I And I like this whole, they don't really do much with it, to be honest, but I like this 
tension here where he's like, you know, we have laws. Like, we can't just go after this guy. And that's what causes him to go rogue a little bit. Mm-hmm. Although, one of the small gripes I have with this movie is how little that's actually played up. Like, they made a big deal, I think, in the marketing. And and when you hear about the movie, it's like, oh, 007 goes rogue. Does he really? Not really. I mean, he goes rogue to the point where, you know, Q shows up and is helping him like usual and, and all this stuff. I, well, he does sort of... He does mess up that Hong Kong narcotics thing. <laughs> True. <laughs> That's probably the least successful part of the movie. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's only there to set up mm-hmm. him with Sanchez, but yeah. but we're getting ahead of ourselves. A little bit. Do we really find out how Bond knows where to go for the sharks? Sharky says something like, this is the last place in the Keys, so I think he's going to all of them. Okay. All right. Yeah. And yeah, Anthony. Well, he's going any place that might have a shark. And Anthony Zerby is, you know, doing his thing. Doing his clearly like Be, how being could, being a smarmy asshole. Yeah, and clearly lying. Like, how could anyone not think he was? Yeah, lying? yeah. Uh, plus, he sees. Oh yeah, that 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 submarine's for sale. Yeah. Plus, he sees the carnation on the in the trash on the floor. Yep. Which, funnily enough, like multiple times when I saw this on TV, the pan and scan cut out the carnation. <laughs> So I had no idea what Bond was looking so at on the floor. So you just see a close-up of a mop. <laughs> you see a mop and, like, some dust on the ground. That's funny. That's weird, too, because it's in the center of the frame. They, like, really I know, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now we've got Killian waiting for his, for his boat out of there. And Bond yep. is sneaking in. We get the scene where the shark can apparently that this is just poor shark containment in general. Uh, the fact yeah. that the shark can push <laughs> up on that grate, it could theoretically escape that way. Like, do sharks do that? I don't know. Do they? Or do only movie sharks do that? Well, movie sharks definitely do that. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this entire sequence here, where Bond's infiltrating the aquarium here and looking for stuff this is out of live, the novel live let die yes yeah you're right and i like how sharky is trying to get to follow but he's too afraid of the shark which fair mm-hmm. yep <laughs> i i would be too yeah i mean there's multiple times after they start shooting and you see him like do i go can i go no i don't want to go and yeah we find out that they're hiding all the cocaine in the maggots which is fun they're not very convincing maggots though i have to say no they look like they look like those, like, fake rubber fishing bait things that you can buy. That's funny, because that's exactly what they are, <laughs> actually. <laughs> that would be why they look like it. <laughs> yep, that's exactly why they look like it, because that's what those things are. I do like the moment when the guy comes up behind him, and, and he's, like, patting him down and stuff, and he's just like, can I get my hands out of here, please? Guy's <laughs> like, all right. Yeah, that's good. Um, I guess the implication is that he gets eaten by these maggots. I guess. Um, you get the one guy dunked into the electric eel tank. Yeah, and then Killian shows up. Yep. Old buddy. <laughs> I like I like Sharky's line. A terrible waste of money. Yeah. <laughs> now Bond is preparing to head out after after Crest's ship, but mm-hmm. first he gets he gets uh sort of picked up by the CIA who don't want him involved. Right. Fair. And it, Seems like M is taking a page out of Felix Leiter's book by being a dick here. Mm-hmm. I I don't know why they made why they made M be the creepy cat guy in the Hemingway house. Well, if he's in the Hemingway house, there would be lots of cats there. 
There would be, I guess, yeah. That's, like, one of the things about the Hemingway house. Yeah, it's it's a location that people might recognize, and it gives them an excuse to say a farewell to arms when he turns over his gun. M is still smoking a pipe. That's some nice continuity. Yeah. When I first watched this movie, when he says farewell to arms, I thought for a second he had punched out M. But it was, there was another guy, <laughs> there was another, uh... There's another guy there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, holy yeah. crap, did you really? <laughs> I don't, uh, they went a little far, I think, if they if he punches M. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if he'll be back in the next movie if he's, you know, doing that. No. <laughs> Someone will be sent after him with a license to kill. <laughs> but yeah, I like the farewell to arms, it's a nice little pun there. Yeah. I don't know why he had to do that, though. Like Turn over his gun or revoke his license? Or why he had to run life? away. Couldn't he have just handed over his gun and then gotten another gun? It's America. It That's true. It is America in Florida. <laughs> where they have lots of guns. Yeah. That is true. I mean, he never seems to have trouble getting another gun any other time. Right! Like, there is, in fact, a scene later in this movie where he has to hand over his gun, and then he gets another gun within five minutes. Uh, yeah. I, why is this <laughs> here? Why does he have to punch the guy and jump off the railing, and th this was unnecessary. I guess it's just drama. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I imagine M's gonna keep him under surveillance and put him on a plane and send him wherever they're sending him, right? Like, I don't think M's gonna let him leave Hemingway House until he gets on a plane. Uh, maybe. They don't actually really say, I guess, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. He might have, yeah, taken him back to England or something. I mean, that's that's my guess, yeah. Alright. I guess that makes some sense. Yeah, Bond runs off into wherever he is. And we cut over to the Wavecrest ship. We find Anthony Zerby looking incredibly 80s, being incredibly creepy here. <laughs> um, he is throughout the entire movie. I like his, his, his pink pants. Yeah, uh, that's better than the pink V-neck he was wearing in the last scene. That's true. <laughs> but that weird, like, cardigan thing that he's wearing, wow. Yeah, what is that? <laughs> it's like a combination dress shirt, polo shirt, cardigan. Yeah, it's like like somebody made a dress shirt, or a, a made a golf shirt with a collar, and then decided, you know what, this needs cable knitting. <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? It's weird. Clearly he wasn't listening to Sanchez when Sanchez told him not to mess around with Lupe. Yeah, you know, he was clearly going to if she would have let him. Oh, yeah. Get another uh, fake sea creature here. <laughs> this one is... Which, I don't know where he got that. I don't know where he got it, but it's better than the freaking crocodile. I don't know where he got that. Maybe Sharky just has one. Maybe. I feel like he should have found a better hiding place for that body. When he sneaks onto yeah, the ship. And... Then putting him... When, when he puts it inside the decompression chamber. Yeah, with the money. Yeah. Yeah, it just feels like a... The decompression chamber with a window. It, it, it's... Like, I feel like... It, yeah, it seems... It seems lazy. Yeah. I mean, that said, I don't know where else he would put him. True. But... Alright, so... It's Milton Crest's ship, right? I believe so. Why does he need a nameplate on his door? <laughs> Well, he watched Thunderball and saw Count Lippy had one. <laughs> and wanted one for himself. I, guess, I don't know. <laughs> it makes more sense than Count Lippy's nameplate. I'll give it that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but still. So anyway, 
I've basically been reacting as scrubbing through instead of explaining what's happening, but I hope that people who have listened yeah. have already seen this movie. Um, <laughs> oh, I would hope so, yeah. When Bond... I'm trying to figure oh, out, like, who who Milton Crest is and why he has, like, this boat that is, like, pseudo-military but looks like a cargo ship. I mean... <laughs> It's kind of weird. He, he belong, like, it's like he belongs to Spectre or something. Yeah, but that couldn't be. But yes, no. it is odd. Not not in 1989. <laughs> we'll never say Spectre again. So Bond goes into Crest's room and finds that Crest is not there. No. But it's, uh, Lupe is there and she knows Bond. Mm-hmm. She remembers him from that... That time he... Brief encounter. Yeah. Yeah. So, but Bond keeps her from telling Crest that he's there, and this is when we find out that Sharky's dead. And we find out, well, he sees that she's been beaten. Yeah, yeah, they find Sharky, they kill Sharky, and his name was Sharky. And then Bond just shoots him with a harpoon, compliments the Sharky. Yeah. Which, <laughs> if you're being stealthy, doesn't really work well. Um... <laughs> no. No. <laughs> And honestly, it's amazing Bond survived this entire sequence. Uh, but he does because he's Bond. and He does because he's Bond. And I still... I don't quite get what Lupe's doing. Not much. And I mean, you know, we find out that she's in love with him for, I would say, plot reasons more than anything that makes sense. <laughs> yes. Later. Yeah. <laughs> to shoot the guy on the boat. In front of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, not his finest hour. Thankful. Well, part. Thankfully, Crest is a bad shot. He's probably still drunk. <laughs> I I do like how he takes the guy's air tank, the the guy that he shot. I think that's clever. So, is this really the easiest way to transfer cargo from a boat to a plane by using a submarine? No. Like, surely not, right? <laughs> No, I wouldn't think so, because I could understand it if if you had another boat, because then you could transfer the cargo and not be spotted. Right, but you've got a plane here that's landing. But, like, the, the submarine has to come up. Yeah. Like, the DE, if the DEA is watching, they know something weird's going on, even it, with it being a sub. It's, yeah. Right. But plot. Bond is attacking the cocaine, because... Yes, why not? Sure. And then... The part that, like, I really don't get. They make the subsurface. Mm-hmm. So Bond is up on the surface and is now being attacked by the various the various goons. And he grabs hold of a line from the plane. And somehow manages to water ski without skis. I don't think mm-hmm. human feet provide enough of a surface for that to work. Well, it's a real stunt. I, I mean, some guy's really skiing without skis. Is he, though? Like, in there's a couple scenes yeah, where it looks yeah. like there is something under him, but okay. Okay, maybe. Yeah, like, uh, if you look I, right before he gets to the boat, it kind of looks like he's on, like a, like, a surfboard. Oh, maybe. But that's just for the stunt. In real life, he wasn't real life. Um, In the movie. Right. (laughs) In the the, the plot of the movie, he's just, like, putting his feet down on the water. Yeah. And I don't think that works. I don't know. I thought 
I thought I read somewhere that that was a legit skiless stunt, but it's possible. Yeah, it does seem improbable, which is why Sanchez later kills the later kills him. But you know, uh, Crest, I mean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it does in fact seem very improbable that he skied behind the ship, behind the plane, and then threw the driver, the driver, the pilot out. Yeah. We also get some rear projection again. Yeah, it's it's not great. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to I've I've always and I'm sure it works, but I've always tried to figure out the physics of how he catches up to the plane. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it, the the most egregious that's not how physics works stunt is in the next movie when he's free falling into the into the plane. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> oh yeah, no that one, and then manages to like yeah no. That one is completely unlikely. Yeah, that 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 does not work. <laughs> There's also a lot of not Timothy Dalton in this sequence. <laughs> yeah, but none of it is as bad as that scene in the beginning when he's getting off the helicopter. No, I mean, and I'm I'm assuming planes have this, but does it make sense to have a plane with a detachable door like that? <laughs> that's not the first time that's happened on a plane in a Bond film, though. No. That happened last week, actually. No. That's true. <laughs> so maybe it seems like such a bad idea where there's like a little pin that you pull out and the whole door goes out. Like I could see if it's an emergency door. Yeah. You know, you think I would know if that's how emergency doors work or not, since I always try to sit in an exit row, but I don't. <laughs> I apologize to anyone who ever has to fly on a plane with me that crashes. Oh dear. <laughs> so yeah, Bond now has a plane full of money, but he doesn't know where to go. But he does break back into uh, Felix's house because he knows that there's a CD inside the photo. Yeah, good thing that Felix had that like portable CD writing system. Yes. That is also a CD reading system. The drawer even says Laser Vision ROM Drive or something like does that. Does it say which... ro- Yes, it does. ROM Disk Drive. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Maybe he was just reading that data for some reason. <laughs> Felix, I mean. Mm. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Uh, <laughs> no, that doesn't. Yeah. that It's the same size as the computer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, mean, I, I know CD-ROM drives were big, but... My first CD-ROM drive wasn't until it was the size of a five and a quarter floppy drive. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah but... We go to this bar that <laughs> feels like it's in another movie. It does feel like it's in another movie. I like how they keep playing the music throughout the fight. Well, and and the dancer is still dancing. Yes, until someone tries to hit her with a pull cue, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I also feel like I've seen this bar in about every other oh, late 80s yeah. action movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we also get probably the most dubious and unfortunate drink choice of Bond in the entire franchise when he asks for Budweiser with lime. <laughs> Oh, it's just regular Bud with lime. So that's I mean, maybe Bud he's Light. well ahead of his time because they didn't have Bud Light lime yet. But <laughs> like, I would uh, put a lime in a Corona, but I also wouldn't drink a Bud. So there's that. No, I'm actually surprised they were allowed to drink Budweiser when all of the lamps say Michelob on them. So I guess they really went for the product placement. Some of them say Budweiser, actually. There's one that says Bush. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah, they, there's they have lots of different ones. Yeah. There's a Bush one, yeah. I think every beer-branded Tiffany lamp is in this bar. <laughs> so yeah, we reunited with Pam here. She still has her bad wig on. Speaking of bad wigs, the guy that Bond beats up here in a second has Patrick Troughton hair, too. <laughs> yes, he does. 
<laughs> but yeah, so I also find it interesting that the waitress is completely ambivalent to the fact that he did just knock out the Patrick Trotton guy. Yeah, I mean this. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it is this kind of bar. And I like the look on her face as she just kind of tries to figure out how to get around the guy and keep doing her job. Yeah, it's this this scene is like the one scene that just doesn't feel like it belongs in this movie. Like I feel like we're in a Blues Brothers movie or something here, where it's like these like slapstick stunts. Mon uh, <laughs> gets attacked by that giant fish at some point. Yeah, that is a thing that happened. Yeah. This fe- it yes, does this happen. doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't fit the tone of everything else. No. And then Bond gets knocked down in front of the dancer and just sort of, you know, gazes at her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that feels like the same director that put boob cam in Octopussy. But... <laughs> yes. Well, it is. Because it is. It is the uh, same director who put the boob cam in Octopussy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do like the shotgun blasting a hole in the wall big enough for them to get out. Through. That's one hell of a shotgun. Or one That's really thing, bad wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm trying to figure out is, like, you see the hole from the other side and there's burn marks. Like, how did they get burn marks on the outside of the bar? <laughs> we think Pam is shot at this point, but clearly she's not. The only one who thinks Pam is, is seriously injured is Bond. Those of us watching the movie, right. even for the first time, know that she's not. <laughs> yes. We might have some actual night for night in this scene, though. I, th- I think it is actual night for night for once. Yeah. Because it looks way better than day for night ever does. They, they immediately start yelling yelling at each other, which means, of course, they're going to sleep with each other in, like, five minutes. Oh, yeah. Why didn't you ask first? <laughs> what is... Yeah. That inspired that great Patti LaBelle song. <laughs> And then we get the only money penny scene in the movie. Yeah. Where she's just I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of this money penny. No. But she's upset about Bond, and that makes sense. And I, I think it's the only Timothy Dalton movie where we see that part of MI6. Yeah, I think you're right. Because we just see Q's lab in the last one. Q's lab in that bunker thing. Yeah, and there's no padded door at all now. It's sad. I was about to say, the M's padded door not only is missing on the one side, but the other one is gray now. Yeah, that's sad. And now we end up in Isthmus City, which is generic Latin American country town thing. (laughs) Yes. Well, they don't want to, like... Where are we? They don't want to insult any particular Latin American country by implying that they have a drug dealer that owns an entire city. True. I mean, they talk about the cocaine being Colombian pure off uh, multiple times, but... Yeah. But, yeah. There are no cities on the Isthmus in Colombia. That's all... That's just jungle. So, that... It's not there. We get kind of, I would say, the most unfortunate scene in this movie here from a sexism standpoint where Bond's like, you know, we're south of the border, it's a man's world. Go get yourself some good clothes and look like a secretary. (laughs) It's still way better than we were getting in the 70s. Yes. So, Bond goes to the bank with $5 million. That yeah. banker has... <laughs> I love the guy. <laughs> What's that? I love his thing when he's like, we have people downstairs who could take care of you, and then like the giant box bag of money. He's like, how can I help you? <laughs> yeah, that's good. 
And the the bank makes sense. They gotta launder the money somehow. Yeah, I mean, I like the, the scene where they're giving the tour of the bank, and he's like, the problem is, what do we do with all the money? And he, he just keeps giving little side comments that are probably what's really going on here. So, and now we get Wayne Newton. We do. <laughs> for, for a bit of stunt casting, I actually really enjoy Wayne Newton. In this. It, I think it works really well, actually. It's perfect for him. Yeah. <laughs> this could have gone terribly wrong, and I think they found the exact perfect role to give to Wayne Newton. Bless you. <laughs> bless your heart. No, that's it. Yeah, bless yeah. your heart. Uh, fun fact, the president, who we meet a couple times, is played by Pedro Amandares Jr., who is the son of Pedro Amandares from uh, from Russia with Love. Oh. So there's a little tie-in there. That's neat. To... Yeah, there's, this is the standard thing of Bond is cons- being conspicuous in a casino. Like, <laughs> how, how is this a plot point in so many Bond films? And why does it work every time? <laughs> Yeah, it's... Yeah. To, to use a word that Sanchez uses later, Bond really had, does have cojones in this movie. Oh, yeah. Where he, like... He, he invites himself up to the to, to the office and, like, really is a bit of a jerk and everything. Yeah, no, it works. It works well. I want to know how many uh, telefundraisers Joe Butcher has to do here to sell all the drugs. I want to know... Like, how often do they have to do this? I want to know <laughs> what the real chapters in Chicago think. Like, we didn't send that money. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it it's it's clever it works Here, here's another way you can tell it's the 80s that the phone number 555 love is sufficient to call and reach the drug dealing people <laughs> yes do they like buy that number in every <laughs> in every market <laughs> no yeah there's a lot of area codes. I mean... Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's theoretically possible you could do that, I suppose. Yeah. This is where we also meet a whole bunch of other, like, yeah, I don't know, sidekicks, I guess, for Sanchez. I don't know what Truman Lodge's deal is. Like, <laughs> he's clear... I mean, he's the money guy, I guess, but... Yeah, he's just, like, shown to be just a big old nerd, I guess. Yeah. Heller, who I really think the movie could have done without. Yes. The whole side plot that we find out later about Stinger missiles, I think, just gets confusing. I think I had to see the movie, like, three times to get it. What is... I don't even understand what happened with the Stinger missiles. No. Was Heller actually stealing them? Or was Sanchez just paranoid? Why were they there? Yeah. I mean, they have no... It has no impact on the story. No. Other than it makes Bond mad at Pam for about 30 seconds. Yeah. In the meantime, before we get to that, though, like he Bond invites himself up and leaves Pam with his martini, which she chugs and then doesn't look very happy about it. <laughs> yeah, and Bond gets the conversation with, with Sanchez, and Sanchez is not sure what to make of him, I think. <laughs> no, he's not. Like, like he says, you know, you got, you got some cojones to come up here and do this. I like, he, he takes his passport, and he keeps his gun, and he's like, you don't need a gun in Isthmus City, it's very safe. <laughs> or something along those lines. Yeah. I mean, he does he does shake Bond's hand at the end before, when he wouldn't do it before. Yeah, and then, when, and then as Bond is leaving the casino, we see uh, one of the 
one of the uh, Chinese gentlemen is eyeing him, wondering what's going on there. Well, awkwardly, they're constantly referred to as Orientals in this yeah. movie, which seems very... Even for the time that Like, I feel wrong. like in 89, didn't they already know you shouldn't do that? Yeah, you would think. And it happens, like, two or three times. That's kind of like when I watch um, 90s Star Trek and they keep talking about American Indians. Yeah. Well, that I mean, that is Chakotay's tribe, let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> uh, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> That's on your other podcast. That is on my other podcast. Uh, so, in this movie, we find out that Bond's uncle has... Oh, yeah, and Bond's just using his real name again. <sighs> but that works to his advantage later, though. It does. Yeah, we find out that, that Bond's uncle has checked into the hotel. Is that a thing hotels do, where you can say, Oh, I'm just a family member of this person. Can you let me into their room? Like, I hope not. I, yeah, I would hope that's not something that gets done much, if at all. Uh, yeah, so they, they get in the elevator, and Bond asks Pam for her gun. So she does this whole spiel where she undoes, like, her, it's like a tearaway skirt thing. Mm-hmm. And she has her little, like, leg holster that she gives him the gun. Does she have to rip that part of the skirt off to get the gun? Because that seems impractical. What I really want to know is, why didn't she just give him the gun we later find out is in her bag? <laughs> yes. Also a good question. I mean, I know why. It's because the director wants to show off her legs or something. But... Sure. Yeah, so Bond goes goes into the room and knocks Q over. Now, is that Desmond Llewellyn who gets knocked over? Because it looks a lot like Desmond Llewellyn. It look. It's hard to say. Uh, it's a very good stunt casting if it's not. It's a very good stunt casting if it's not, but it could be, it could be someone else. Um, yeah, I mean... I think it is, actually, because... I think the uh, I think the stunt actor has a little more hair on the top of his head. Yeah, no, he definitely does. Um, looking at the back of Desmond Llewellyn's head in the next scene, it's not Desmond Llewellyn. Yeah, the 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 slight pattern baldness is different. Yeah, uh, th- this is the type of forensic uh, analysis that our listeners have come to expect from us. I think in this show, <laughs> we're analyzing Desmond Llewellyn's pattern baldness. Um, in this episode's useless Q gadgets we get the explosive alarm clock guaranteed never to wake up anyone who uses it <laughs> which again why is that a thing <laughs> i mean i do like the dentonite toothpaste the gun that q is clearly programming with a desk calculator yeah that is interesting why does the what is the what's with the polaroid camera that is both a deadly laser and an x-ray well i want to know why the photograph has an x-ray it's an x-ray yeah, no, 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 but why does the f- the photo of the president have an x-ray of the president oh. in the Polaroid? Oh, yeah, that I, do, I can't tell you. <laughs> I don't think that's how photos work. Pam leaves Bond to share a room with Q. Uh, I hope you don't snore, Q. Yeah. I like Q checking the beds. He just walks in and starts just testing the beds. Yeah, so here, here's where I have to make a money comment here where clearly inflation is a thing that has happened. Um, so we find out that Sanchez is, I guess, almost franchising in a way <laughs> where he's letting these these people buy rights into his organization at the total cost of $300 million, I think is what it works out to be. Mm-hmm. And back in Thunderball, the biggest 
plot Spectre ever conceived was ransoming NATO for $180 million or something like that. By now, Sanchez is now doing like two times practically the, the business that Spectre was trying to do. One so, million dollars. Money. money has different value now. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> I like, uh, I, li- I do like this is how Bond just like is able to just go back by wearing a tux, but because he happens to be wearing a tuxedo that looks just like the. Yeah, that was, that was very lucky that mm-hmm. his, that a regular tuxedo is exactly the same thing that the wait staff uses. It's also lucky that no one thought it was weird that someone sent up the elevator with just a table. <laughs> like apparently that's something they do sometimes i guess yeah i guess so i like the rope hidden in the cummerbund that's clever yeah and how he cops a feel on the <laughs> carved woman yeah <laughs> subtle oh yeah very so it is a made-up country but the flag kind of reminds me of el salvador a little bit yeah with the sky blue mm-hmm and now we Argentina as well. Yes, that has that yeah similar color to it. Yeah, but it's probably not Argentina. <laughs> Mm-mm. Uh, so so we have the explosive toothpaste with the cigarette detonator, and because this is a real tooth uh, toothpaste, a real cigarette company on that pack of cigarettes, that's why this movie mm-hmm. has a disclaimer about smoking. <laughs> yeah, and why none of the other movies in which he smokes have a disclaimer about smoking because they don't have a real company in them. Mm-hmm. Uh why do all the cigarettes light up? Bond, like, w- yeah. And, and why does it make beeping noises? Also, Bond has a very interesting idea of what sparingly means. Because didn't Q say to use the plastic explosive sparingly? Yeah, he just sort of piles that stuff on. <laughs> yeah, and I believe this is the first out of like eighteen times where he tells Q to leave. Yes. <laughs> It is. Like, I lost track of the number of times he tries to get rid of both Pam and Q and say, go home. I think Q is in this movie more than he's in any other movie. I think you're right, yeah. And he's good in this. He is. I mean, I like seeing him out in the field doing stuff. Yeah, I think this will be the last time we have that. Yeah. I mean, he was definitely getting up there by the time we get to Goldeneye. Yeah. So we, we find out that the that he's that Sanchez is making a deal with the Chinese drug dealers but they're gonna go check out his operation and bond is ready to shoot sanchez but he gets someone gets the jump on him yep and it's the guy who was insisting on going to see the the facility i'm not quite sure why they would attack him yeah i'm not i mean clearly there's this suspicious guy wandering around well because they know they also see well once they see him you know, shooting at Sanchez, they really need to stop him from lowering their operation. Yeah, but I don't think he did. I don't know. Yeah, so this Hong Kong narcotic narcotic is not happy. They've been setting this up for years, and he's going to be shipped straight back to London until a tank shoots at the house. Yeah. Oh, so I I have to go back here because while Bond is about to detonate, he that's when he sees Pam with Heller. Mm-hmm. Now, presumably. Pam knows what Bond is doing at this point, right? I would assume. Like, she's in she's in on his vendetta plan. Why wouldn't she say that she's going to go meet with Heller? Mm-mm. Because Bond told her to leave. Or or why would you why would you meet it with Heller at about the same time that you know Bond is going to try to assassinate Sanchez? That's an excellent question. <laughs> I mean, that just that doesn't make sense. It doesn't. But this works out well. Man, Hong Kong narcotics doesn't uh, go down without a fight. They all have cyanide capsules and everything. Yeah. Like, man, that is 
some brutal stuff there. Yeah. <laughs> but it works out well to make Sanchez trust Bond. It does. Very convenient. And he... Bond wakes up in a bed staring at a weird fish person. Yeah. Sanchez has some weird decor ideas. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, those weird statue fish things are everywhere. They are all over the place. Yeah. I, I feel like every set in his house is designed to remind you that this was made in the 80s. Oh, yes. Just... Yeah. <laughs> It, you don't get much more 80s than this house. I like the marble TV stand. Yes. <laughs> I have expected Sanchez to have a waterbed. <laughs> yes. But no, this is where it, it makes sense, you know, or it, it works out well that Bond has been tossing his name around. Because at one point, Heller comes up to Sanchez and is like, you have, you'll, you're never going to guess who this guy is. And he's I know who he is. Like, Bond tells the truth here, essentially. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. That, you know, he was british secret service he got kicked out pretty much and i do like the whole and and this is something that goes all the way back i think to like stories like ujimbo mm -hmm. and movies like that where you know he's gonna see doubts and cause this organization to destroy itself from yeah. the inside and he definitely does that i mean that's sort of what the plot of the man with the golden gun novel is oh okay this is a better story <laughs> but <laughs> it's a better story than the man with the golden gun movie too that's true it has a coherent plot from the beginning to the end. It has a plot, yeah. It has a story. And Lupe run runs off with a ship, with a boat, even though she was told not to. Yeah. This guy looks like he's going to get so much crap. Oh, yeah. Or he's at least worried he's going to get so much crap for it. Kudos to Bond for hanging onto the outside of that boat for as long as he did. Yeah, for real. That takes some serious arm strength. <laughs> so Bond does get back to the hotel room and... He, he first tells Q to pack his bags again. <laughs> again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And he interrogates Pam about Heller. Yeah. This is the part that doesn't make sense. Or it, I wouldn't say it doesn't make sense, but it's, it's sort of the diamonds and opium from last week. Yeah. The Stinger Missiles. Where it's like, wait, what? There's no need for this. We're an hour and a half into the movie and we're introducing something new. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no need for any of this. No, because, I mean, so Heller was possibly going to turn sides on Sanchez. Or at least steal back the Stinger Missiles and stuff. But why does that matter? It's so Bond can get Heller killed later. I guess? I guess one, one thing is it pretty much saves Bond's life. For knowing about the Stinger missiles, but... Yeah, it does, but still odd. Uh, it also, also dates the movie with the Contras reference. Because the Contras would only be around for, like, another few months when this movie came out. Right. Now we have to go and start the suspicion stuff here. Which, again, more people being bad at being secret. The guy's Milton Crest and his organization is called Wavecrest. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and Pam pretends to be a harbor pilot to crash the ship. Crash the ship and then run away and nobody cares where she goes. Yeah, and I guess it's just to make it so they don't immediately go down to look at things, I guess. But it still seems... Maybe, yeah. And this is where, yeah, Bond sneaks the money onto the ship to make it look like Crest has been hiding it this whole time. Yep. But, like, doesn't... Wouldn't the bank tell Sanchez that Bond had withdrawn all his money? Yeah, I mean, they knew that he put that much money in. And since, yeah, since Sanchez owns, so I guess a couple things. There are no cell phones at this point. True. So that helps. I, I feel like eventually Sanchez would have found out, except that now it's night, he's going to kill Crest, and then the next morning is when they go off to the facility. So I wonder if it's one of those things where, you know, had he lived another day, he would have figured out what was going on. 
Mmm, maybe. That's a good point. Yeah, okay. Or Bond withdrew his money on a Saturday, and as we all know from Mr. Solo, banks don't open on Sunday. So here's where we get probably one of the most famous scenes in the movie, I would say. His head exploding? Yeah. I don't believe that. I'm not I don't sure that's how that, that works, would happen but... at all. No. Because he put the pressure on him very quickly, and if the pressure on him was that quickly was not enough to kill him, then it certainly wouldn't be enough for it to be removed. It might like pop his eardrums or something, but it would not mm-hmm. be enough to make him explode. In fact, I don't think that would happen regardless. <laughs> No, like, if you get exposed to vacuum, you don't explode. Yeah, but if the pressure itself wasn't enough to make him implode, removing it wouldn't be enough to make him explode. Yeah, I was about to say, like, maybe if you put him under enough pressure, but the pressure would be so great that he would be killed then. Yeah, yeah, this doesn't hold up to, like, any kind of scrutiny. Although, it it does lend itself to my favorite line in the entire movie Launder when it. he explodes in the... And yes, he explodes in the chamber with all the money. The guy's like, what about the money, Patron? Laundry. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I like that. And Bond tells Q and Pam to go home again. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> At this point, he can't actually believe they will. No. It's convenient that Bond does manage to make it back to the room in time to... Yeah, that's pretty pretty swift mm-hmm. i mean i mean he takes the boat but still i mean i wouldn't think that sanchez would hang around the wave crest for very long no <laughs> after killing crest so it worked out well that he managed to make it back and look like he was already asleep and then of course he sleeps with lupe because duh because that's what you do in these movies well it's because he has to you know make her love him into saving his life yeah he does that a lot mm-hmm yeah, that's so weird. Yeah, I, I, I don't like... When she comes and tells Q and Pam about it and says, I love him so much. It's like, uh, no, you don't. Yeah. And then Pam sulks, which is, uh... I could really do without that jealousy side thing that she has. Like, I don't need that in this movie. Okay, so so then they Bond is being taken to the facility, and they pass Q in disguise, sweeping the road with a broom that's also a radio and couldn't he have just had a walkie-talkie in his pocket yeah i guess (laughs) this feels the the broom radio feels completely unnecessary i mean his disguise is amazing it is and i do kind of like how he just throws it in the bush when he's done (laughs) so i read that was actually desmond llewellyn's idea because of the number of times he yells at bond for not taking care of the equipment (laughs) he gives him nice I like it. So he was like, I should just throw the broom away. Yeah, that works. I like it. Yeah, that works well. Okay, so his mustache is not great. Q's fake mustache is crooked. Yeah. Like, it hangs down on the right side like an inch more than it does on the left. <laughs> yeah. But the disguise works still in general. No, I'm, I'm just saying it's amazing and that it looks so amusing. Not that it's a good disguise. I just think it's... It's amusing to see him. Why is Sanchez having Bond's plane overhauled? That's a great question. I, I mean, he, he doesn't know that. guess that it's Bond's plane, but... Well, no, he does know it's Bond's plane, because he knows Bond came in by private plane. Yeah, that's true. No, that's that's a great question. Yeah. 
I mean, and that doesn't really change the story any either, because she just steals the other plane. Yeah. Well, she doesn't steal the she she doesn't steal another plane until much later. But yes. Yeah. Because she she gets to the temple by pig truck. True. But it just seems odd. That's all. So we go to the temple, and she meets Wayne Newton. <laughs> he loves surprises. He loves surprises. Yeah. <laughs> Oh boy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Bond and everyone else is they're watching they're watching cocaine get dissolved into gasoline. Yeah, I, I this is another one of those mythbusters things that I'd love to see them do. <laughs> I know gasoline is involved in refining cocaine, I think, but I don't know whether you can dissolve cocaine in gasoline and then just precipitate it out that easily. Yeah, that I'm not sure on. Yeah, but unfortunately, uh uh, Benicio del Toro has recognized Bond, which makes sense. I mean, yeah, he did fight him. Okay, so Bond. True. Yeah. Bond starts the fire. Mm-hmm. And Heller is like, I can get the trucks out, but I don't think I can stop the fire. It's not a big fire. I wonder if it is because of the chemicals involved. Maybe. Maybe. Like some chemical fires are damn hard to put out. Yeah, but they don't even try. True. And it's again not a big fire and. OSHA would be all over them for not having a good fire suppression system. Well, maybe there's no OSHA in Ithmus City or whatever. Oh, that's a good point. Is. There's okay. probably no OSHA yeah. in Isthmus. Uh... I mean, at one point, right around then, because Sanchez is like, I don't care about the setup, like, whatever. And Truman Lodge says, Wait a minute! The setup cost us $32 million. We have to try and save it! And that's an in-joke, because that's the budget of the film. Oh, nice! Yeah. I like that. Because I would imagine this whole establishment would cost a little bit more than $32 million. Oh, yeah. But, but that's how Sanchez is like, well, the, the well, the, the cocaine is worth more. So it's like, you know, we care more about that. Which Sanchez is going to kill Bond with the cocaine shredder. Uh, mm-hmm. But Bond plants the seeds of doubt about Heller. And how does, like, yeah. I mean, he's right. But how does Sanchez know he's right? Or even think he's right? About Heller and the Stingers? Yeah. I mean, he probably does. I mean, at this point, he's probably like, everyone else is, has been trying to screw me over. Oh, all right. I mean, he seems like, since he's such a loyalty-oriented guy, I can imagine, you know, once he finds out, not only does Crest do something, but he, he starts doubting Truman Lodge's involvement. And mm-hmm. and then, of course, he catches Heller later. Yeah. The then yeah, now we know that Heller's going to meet a dead end. Not one of the better puns. Not really. I also don't know how one gets impaled on a forklift like that, but... that Yeah, that really doesn't seem possible. I also like how we get a scene of the temple burning from, like, just outside the gates to the complex, and there's just people standing around, chilling. (laughs) Yeah. Like, everyone's running around in the background, but the people at the gate are just, like, hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe turn around? I don't... Yeah. (laughs) Um, we... Pam comes in just in time and shoots... Benicio del Toro. Yep. Who's, for the life of me, I can't remember his name in the movie for some reason right now. But Dario. Dario, that's right. Thank you. That's a really bad way to go, I think, into that cocaine grinder. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're going in feet first. Ugh, that's awful. Yeah. You feel that for a bit. Yeah. So uh, Sanchez is escaping in his very 80s Maserati. <laughs> yeah. Like... If I didn't see the badge on it, yeah, it would look like a Chevy or something. Or, yeah. 
right. or a BMW or any or any car from the eighties. But like, I don't think of Maseratis as looking like boxes. No, I've, I guess I've never seen an eighties Maserati, but yeah, they're pretty. <laughs> they look like every other eighties car. Yeah, like my dad used to drive an eighties Ford Escort, and it looks a lot like that. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. <laughs> And here's where, uh, as he's driving down the ramp and turn and turns, it scrapes the bo- the body of the car scrapes the stone for a second, which I just find amusing because there was also the scene with the airplane wing. I mean, I'm sure it's all complete coincidence, but still. Oh, this is right after he picks up Truman Lodge. Yes. Oh yeah, I had not noticed that before. And Pam picks Bond up. And of course, now the- Bond Bond is going to go after them in a golf cart. Yep. With Fringe. But, and they get their money back from Wayne Newton. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. Bless your heart. We see, And as we see people running away from the temple, we see more explosions from the temple, including one explosion from, like, a huge explosion from just, like, the ground in front of the temple, somehow. <laughs> you know, stuff's gotta blow up, right? Yeah, I guess. So now we have the... We have some... Rather Mad Maxian stuff with the fuel trucks. Which is still some pretty really good stunts, I think. Like, the, at the least it reminds and... me a lot of the end of Mad Max. Yeah, kind of. With, with well, with tanker trucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Including how the bad guy dies. Yeah, that's true. There, There's a lot of really bad rear projection here. Yeah, every shot within Sanchez's car is really bad rear projection. Yes. I like how the, the guy that gets... Gets the fire extinguisher to the face. Is just like hanging out on the hood of the car. Until he gets thrown <laughs> off. Get him off there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I do like the the truck driver. Who's you know being very good about uh, weaving to keep Bond from passing. Mm-hmm. He's jamming out to the music. Mm-hmm. We get the obligatory slow pokes going the other direction shot. <laughs> yes. We, we get a, uh, a better version of the stunt from Diamonds Are Forever here with this truck. <laughs> better, yes. Less plausible, though. Where we put it up on one side. It was implausible in Diamonds... Yeah, except they... I mean, they did it. Did they, though? Yeah, they did. I mean... Yeah, but I don't think that... That's a real truck. That's a real truck doing that. But I'm sure it was weighted in like a special way that it would work, though. Oh, of course. No, of course it was weighted, yeah. I don't think an actual truck would just do that. There's certainly no liquid in that truck. Right. Yeah, no, 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 that's true. I still find that stunt way more plausible than the wheelie he does later. <laughs> yes, yes, that is also not possible. I'm like, trucks don't do that. No. <laughs> I-, I do like how the driver of the other truck does get to run away from the stinger just in time. Yep, and then Bond lets his tank loose and collides with the other tanker trucks, which is good aim yeah that worked out really well i don't think he planned that yeah i think that just happened <laughs> another 80 million dollar write-off i guess it's time to start cutting overhead yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean let's be honest we were happy to see truman lodge go by that point. oh yeah yeah i uh, don't know how you could you, you certainly can't get to a wheelie from a standing start like no no <laughs> only that like the way it goes up you can tell there's like a a winch or something right, on it the, to both elevate sets of the front rear of the truck. wheels are still on the ground. Stay down, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that like, that's not how trucks work. No, <laughs> that's some hardcore uh, turning on of the cruise control though, with that big giant engage button. But no, th- this whole thing it works. I mean, it's some decent action. We yeah. get explosions and whatnot. 
it works. And I will say, I I mentioned him earlier. Uh, I like this action, the the cue that he writes for this. He it comes up a few times, but I like his treatment of the Bond theme and stuff in this. Mm-hmm. The Michael Kamen stuff. I think it it works well. Yeah. good action cue uh he still he wasn't that well known yet i guess i mean other than for die hard he did um robin hood prince of thieves like i think a year later and uh so he's known for that and also for uh mr holland's opus and a few other things Uh but his biggest his biggest thing to this point was die hard yeah i like it i like it it's it's pretty good and i like how Sanchez does die with Felix's lighter. Yes. Yeah, good. That's a good payoff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. Again, why was the flame that big? But it works. Well, in that case, the flame could have been big just because of the gas vapors. I suppose. Because gasoline, when you light gasoline, usually it's the. The evaporated gas that lights. Right. Yeah. It's the, the, the liquid doesn't catch fire. It has to be. Yeah. The, the vapors, yeah. And they drive away in the truck. And they're at, they have a party, I guess, for some reason. Yeah, I don't know why they're having a party. I guess Lupe is on a mission to spend all of Sanchez's money. Yeah. But Bond calls Felix and says they'll go fishing in a week, and Felix is down for that, which seems implausible. Yeah, on many levels. Um, like, from the trauma sense, I, and from the physical, he just got eaten by a shark sense. Yeah. Also, he clearly didn't lose his arm. No, he didn't. Well, they thought they might be able to save the arm, they said. That's true. It also, this is a minor thing that bugs me. Um, I, I think Carrie Lowell is a very attractive actress. I think her dress is hideous in this scene. <laughs> it's not great. But anyway, no. Um, it looks 80s, though. It, it's very 80s. Uh, they end up in the pool together, and the last shot is of a winking fish. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Why is there a winking fish in this? And movie? there's the the recap of "Why don't you wait till you're asked? Why didn't you ask me?" thing too. Yeah, and we cl- get closed up by "If you ask me to." That terrible song and, from the eighties. And Q doesn't make a double. Written for this movie. Q doesn't make a double entendre, which is sad. No, and and he doesn't hang around to watch them either. I'm okay with that part. <laughs> I'm okay with that too. <laughs> he does drink Bond's drink though, so there is that. He does, yeah, yeah. So, that was License to Kill. Like many Bond films, we have a very abrupt ending. It's a better ending than some. It's still better than Thunderball. Yes, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) 
So yeah, that was that was License to Kill. Mm-hmm. I I think it's a really good movie. Uh, I'm ashamed. Uh, it's a shame we never got the third Timothy Dalton movie. Uh, he was in contract for three movies, but he uh, exercised his right to leave the contract when it got delayed multiple times. Yeah, I don't think that he did that until like 1993 or 94. He did it a year before GoldenEye came out. Yeah. Yeah. And he might have been too old by that point. He might have been. Or not. He wouldn't have been like. I mean, maybe. I mean, he wouldn't have. Sean Connery, 37 old. He wouldn't have been Sean Connery, 37 old, or Roger Moore, 50 whatever old. But. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I imagine he would have just. He was. He'd moved on by Mm -hmm. that point, I guess. It's probably more like it. And and I think Pierce Brosnan is amazing in GoldenEye, so it it works. Mm -hmm. His hair is amazing in that movie. Yes, it is. And it's it's never it's never as good after that movie either. Not quite. No. Well, just here's yeah. the movies in general. Just the Brosnan movies. None of the other Brosnan movies can hold a candle to Goldeneye. <laughs> that's that's very true. I would say this is probably D- Dalton's best movie, though. Uh, I mean, he only had two, but I think this is a better movie than The Living Daylights. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I would watch this if if, if you asked me which one to watch. I would probably watch it over almost any of the Roger Moore films too. Mm. You know, like I said at the beginning, I think this is probably my number three or four if I had to rank all of them. You know, aside from that little wrinkle with the stingers, I think the plot, it's a very simple plot and I think it works really well. It's its nice to mm-hmm. not have the Cold War giant, we're going to destroy the world kind of stuff going on. It's nice to have a very personal story this time out. Mm-hmm. And I feel that it's something they were trying to do with a lot of the Craig films and didn't quite do very well in in, in a lot of ways, um, at least not as well as they did in, in this movie. But no, I, I definitely think that's true. They they really try in they really tried to make it a personal story, Inspector, but it didn't work. No, and Quantum of Solace too, but Quantum of Solace I I've warmed up on over the years. I. Oh, no, no, I definitely have two. Like, if I had to give out a most improved score for for a Bond film, you know, compared what I thought of it when I first saw it to what I think of it now, it's probably going to be Quantum of Solace. For me, it would probably be either Quantum of Solace or On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which I still don't think is an amazing movie, but I think is much better than... than I, I didn't give it nearly enough mm-hmm. credit the first time I saw it. Okay. Yeah, when I first saw Quantum of Solace, I was like, what was that? Yeah. But... I've, I've come around to appreciating it a lot more, mm-hmm. which we'll get to, what, in seven weeks? Six, seven weeks? Something like that? Something like that. All right. We're not going to take a six-year hiatus between this and the next movie. Oh, so. God. <laughs> <laughs> no. Maybe in six years when these podcasts come out. But, Man, that would be a weird time capsule to like release these th- these in like five years, and people, like we keep talking about, you know, everything of twenty twenty. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, for whatever reason in my head, I've always thought of this movie kind of ending a period, and then we have like new Bond, mm-hmm. uh, starting with mostly because Goldeneye was the first one I actually saw in the theater, mm. and I know you didn't, but nah. um, but I remember it, it was. It was a big deal because, like, Bond was coming back, mm-hmm. I guess, when GoldenEye came out, which no one thought was going to happen again. Well, there's a bit of a soft reboot with Bro- with the Brosnan films. I mean, it's still... 
the same continuity, but we have, with the exception of Desmond Llewellyn as Q, we have all new characters, all new actors. Yeah, right. And they're all quite good. Mm-hmm. All right, well, thank you for listening to us this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at PodSpiel, or you can send us an email at spielpodcast at gmail.com. And then you can also find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. You can find me on Twitter at Listening to Film. Yes. Uh, you have anything else to say about License to Kill? Or License... Yeah, License... I almost, I almost said License to Spiel. Yeah, <laughs> you almost... I almost corrected many. myself... Yeah incorrectly by calling it license to spiel (laughs) (laughs) i think on that note we should just say that license to spiel will return next week with goldeneye